1: I'd met Kevin in the morning and then Sir Alex in the afternoon at David Platt's mother-in-law's house. Sir Alex's words were, uh, am I seeing you first or second? And I said, well, I would met Kevin this morning. He goes, that's me <laughs> then. I was meant to be the final piece in the jigsaw. <laughs> Didn't quite work out like that. You agree to sign for Newcastle in, in Manchester, Manchester. can Just you believe after that? After singing,
0: everything I do, I do for <laughs> you and me and Bex. And I had my medical there and everything. there, yeah, that was taking the piss. Bastard, you know, goal scorers. Correct. (laughs) Alan, welcome to The Overlap. We're here in the Docklands, if you like, yeah. of Newcastle. Just talk to us a little bit of what this city means to you in sort of growing up in this area.
1: Well, I was born here. As Soon as I could walk, my old man chucked a ball at my feet in a Newcastle top and that was it. I'm no different to any other kid. That's just what happens here. Football means that much to everyone. My dad went to watch Newcastle every single week and Loved it as, as much as anyone else. I did exactly the same with my son. As soon as he could walk, there's a football, there's a Newcastle kitten. He goes to all the games now, home and away, and he's a mad Newcastle fan, just like I am.
0: What impact does it have on the city, the football? I know everybody up here is absolutely mad in terms of <laughs> yeah. you know, about football. What impact does it have when the team's
1: down, particularly in the say, last 10 years, which has been really difficult? The football club is their life. They go to work all week. Monday to Friday, seven till five or seven till six to earn money to spend on a weekend, to have a good time. And spending their money means going to watch their club, Newcastle, going to the pubs and restaurants on a a Saturday night. Then they start all over again. So Newcastle is their life. I mean, I've been all over the country and I've not quite seen anywhere that when you walk around the town, you see the nanas and grandads, the mums and dads, the brothers and sisters, all the kids wearing the black and white, wearing the, the shirt. So it is their life. So for the last 14 years it's been really difficult because they've had no hope. Cup competitions have been zero and it's just been about surviving. So I can sort of understand and get why all of a sudden there's a little bit of excitement in the city.
0: Your dad grew up as a sheet metal worker. What sort of life did you have growing
1: up i lived in a three-bedroom council house on an estate we had the flats opposite where i used to go and kick a ball against the walls and get a bollocking every now and again to keep the noise down they gave me what they had which wasn't a lot they went out and worked extremely hard my dad he worked in the factories he used to come in at, uh, at five o'clock his tea was ready for him on the table probably still is actually <laughs> and then they gave me the boots they gave me whatever they paid for the travel and they, it, it, if it wasn't for them, I would never have been in the position I am now, because um, yeah, I owe everything to them. What sort of advice would they give you as a sort of youngster in terms of football, but generally around life? They would just tell me to do what I wanted to do, so long as I worked hard. Yeah. Um, they didn't push me, they didn't force me, they just wanted me to, to go out and give it a right good go. And I'm like that now with uh, with my kids if I didn't make it it wouldn't have mattered but the support and pushed me all the way as much as they could and it, I know if it hadn't worked then that wouldn't have been a problem for them.
0: You look at sort of you know growing up in Newcastle, how difficult was it when you sort of got to 15?
1: Yeah that was the hard part. Because, <laughs> and you've got to leave here. Mm, well that was really difficult so I had a decision to make. Do so I school schoolboy forms at 14 which it was what it was then and then I got offered the apprenticeship to go down to Southampton and leave everything behind, leave Newcastle behind, yeah. leave my mum and dad, leave all my pals. And I still remember getting on the train and I could see my mum standing on the side when the train's pulling away and the, the tears were coming down her face. At like a 15 year old, 15 yeah. is a young age, especially yeah. when you. I've got kids now. I look back and think, God, I'm not sure I could have let my kids go all that way at that age, but it was the best thing I ever did because It got me away from the council estate. It got me away from one or two of my pals who were starting to lead me down (laughs) a different different direction. (laughs) I learned the game, basically, and I went into a dressing room that was really tough, but it was the best thing I ever did and starting the old YTS apprenticeship. And it it was tough at the time, but it was amazing.
0: How does Alan Shearer not get spotted around here? You think about the hotbed of football, Newcastle, even and God forbid, Sunderland, or other clubs that are around there. Why would you not have been? I went what?
1: to West Brom on trial. I went to Manchester City on trial. I went to Newcastle on trial, and I felt as if they were okay. And I got one or two offers. Newcastle offered me also, but I, I looked at Southampton, and I looked at their um, youth setup, the players over the years before me who had come through that uh, that system, and I thought, you know what? If I'm going to be given a chance, I'm probably going to get one there. Mm. I have a bigger and better chance of going down there. And also, I just felt for me to get out of, of Newcastle and go and learn football and grow up. Um, and as I said, I think that was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Everybody up here has got a passion for Newcastle
0: United that lives in this city. Yep. Why does the club not just hone in? Because they want that connection so much between the fans and the players. I can see that when I come up here and yep. saw it for the last 25 years and I'm not from Newcastle, why does it not have that incredible sort of <coughs> youth conveyor belt, why is it not really holding all the players and the talent up here and the passion and build from that, what's the reasoning behind it? Well
1: that? it needs investment, the academy needs investment, you know as well as, as, as I do that uh, you don't get anything without putting something yeah. in there and for the last 14 years it's had nothing, I mean the training ground and the academy is exactly how it was when I left back in 2006
0: Nothing been spent at all?
1: Nothing, nothing at all. It's the same academy, same turning ground. It might add a lick of paint, but other than that, it's nothing. And when you look at the players that have come out of the North East, whether that's Peter Beardsley, Steve Bruce, Michael Carrick, Alan Thompson, Steve Watson, Lee Clark all of these guys and many guys before that, it's incredible because Mm. going forward, whatever whatever happens, that has to change because there's far too much talent that has gone from this area, gone and signed for other clubs, and and that has to change, and I'm hopeful that it will. Is it an investment in the training ground or is it the investment in the scouting, the recruitment, the quality of the coaching? Everything. everything. It has to be everything. It has to be an investment in Newcastle's training ground, Newcastle's academy, in the scouting, in the coaching. It, It has to do everything because without all that, then, players are still going to go to other football clubs. In terms of
0: yourself, obviously there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about you being reintroduced into the club. Could it be that that type of area of the club is something that you could look at and just completely overhaul? Is that a project that you would look at? I mean, there's been talk about an ambassador, mm. but is, is it not a focus on the youth and the academy and the actual young people of Newcastle that needs to be sort of the
1: well, that's all it has been at the minute. Is talk, Gary, because they've got far more important and bigger decisions to make than who they're going to bring in as ambassador or who they're going to bring into the uh, to the games. If they want to uh, sit down and talk, then of course I'll be willing to uh, to do that. But at the minute there hasn't been anything, and I wouldn't expect it to be anything.
0: We're experiencing it at United. It's this moment in time where you've got a lot of ex-players that are in positions at the club: yeah, the manager, yeah. coaching staff, yeah. technical directors, ambassadors. Mm-hmm. It works successfully, say, at a club like Ajax, where yep. it's the, the Ajax runs right the way through the club. Is that something that this new ownership you think can put into Newcastle? Not for the sake of it. You have to have the right skill sets. Yep. But the idea that up here it is a little bit like a Bilbao, you know, where everything feels very much connected to the people, the fans. That's not to say you won't bring in players from say, yep. you know, different parts of the country or overseas, but there is a real connection between the ownership, the fans, the players. Do you think that's a way forward for Newcastle?
1: I do in certain aspects because whenever whenever I sit and watch the matches on the TV, I always see former players sat in the stands or sat in the director's box, whether that's promoting the youth, whether that's just bringing in people from different parts of the country. I always feel there is a place for, for ex-players. Every other football club does it other than yeah. Newcastle. We know the reasons why it hasn't happened over the past few years. But again, I would be pretty hopeful that you would see that start to to change. I know there was a few ex-players at the, at the Tottenham game, which was yeah. great to see, because there are players, not only in this country, but in Europe, who have been successful here, or they might not have won anything, but in terms of who they are and what they are and what they could bring to the football club, I would think there's something for the football club to look at there. Why would Mike Ashley, a smart businessman, made billions of
0: pounds in his sort of private businesses, Why would he not do that most simple thing? (laughs) It's the most simple thing in the last 15 years. Well,
1: I think it is. Just to sort of, what would
0: be, if you like, connect with local people, whether that be ex players, fans? How could he not have done that? Why would he not have done that?
1: Uh, You tell me. I mean, because I think it's pretty simple. I would think it would be very simple to get on the phone to an ex player to say, oh, come and try and do this, or mix with him, or go and meet these guys for the benefit of the football club, to promote them, to push them forward. I haven't got a clue. Your guess is as good as mine.
0: We've seen the scenes in the last few weeks. it's yep.
1: great excitement, Me. enjoyment. Is that something that you share as well? Oh yeah, I do, absolutely. I'm a fan, you know. I want the football club to challenge. I want them to be bigger and better. I want to have a little bit of hope and that's exactly why there's so many people that are happy because Newcastle's flatlined for the last 14 years. As I said, there's been no hope, there's been no excitement, there's been nothing to look forward to. And you think about Newcastle United, last season, they couldn't give, they couldn't give 10,000 tickets away. No one wanted them. And that was the situation that Newcastle were in. So, go back to where they, they were in terms of the owners coming in. The ground was buzzing again, there was an excitement there because... That's what's gone on in the past. Now they can look forward. And I just think they would have been happy, whoever came in, if they had to give them a little bit of hope. It just so happens that the the people that have come in are incredibly wealthy, but it's 14 years that have gone, they now can look forward and, and have that excitement again.
0: You're a Newcastle man. What would you say Newcastle's
1: values and principles are? Not in the last 14 years, but generally as a club. Hard work, entertain. That's why when you come up here, everyone who's involved with football and the football club We'll mention the likes of the entertainers or Kevin Keegan because he gave everyone a little bit of hope. He gave everyone the football that they wanted, um, some of the players that he brought in, not only from this country but from abroad. Because I often hear it say, it's difficult to get players to come up and play in Newcastle. Well, it, they're a huge football club and they, you're almost guaranteed 52,000 every single week and bigger if they could extend the, uh, the ground if you give them that little bit of hope. We're at a Brian Adams concert,
0: we're singing Summer of 96 together. (laughs)
1: That night is the night you went to meet Kevin Keegan. I met Kevin in Manchester. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to come back to, to Newcastle. I can't let this opportunity go.
0: How would you describe Mike Ashley's
1: reign at Newcastle United? Disastrous. Disastrous. Flat. No hope, no excitement. I couldn't describe it in any other words. You mentioned before the
0: principles of Newcastle, hard work, entertaining but also I when I come up here the people are
1: straight, yep. they're honest, how would you describe Mike Ashley? I don't think he should ever have got involved in the football club, I don't know why he did, he may have made a lot of money, I haven't got a clue, I, I don't really want to, um, it's got nothing to do with me anymore but it, he's an incredibly successful businessman and no one can knock him for that in whatever way he wants to do it but um, I don't think he, him or his people sort of understood football or, or what he was getting into. Did he lose the fans at the point where
0: that end of that season where he didn't make you the manager for the following season even though he promised you the job? Was that the point where you think it turned? It turned for you then? I suspected it in terms of just the integrity. of no, how it I don't. Happened?
1: I don't. I don't think that was the the, the point. I mean, that was very it was hugely disappointing for me because I thought I was going to go on and, and do that. I'd left a lot behind in terms of leaving the BBC to do what I uh, was was doing. I mean, I loved doing that. But I felt at the end of the uh, the eight games, although what happened, it was a disaster. But it wasn't for the want of trying or hard work. I knew that we'd all given everything. But I did want the chance to try and bring Newcastle back up and then it it didn't happen and then after a year or two I thought you know what it's never going to happen I've got to then concentrate on the media side of things but I don't think he lost it then I just think over time when you look at what could have happened what he could have done uh, and no one wanted him to do what Manchester City were doing or Chelsea were doing or Man United were doing and spending the hundreds of millions of pounds to go and demand a Premier League just wanted a club that tried that wanted to achieve something rather than just trying to avoid relegation all the time. In terms of sort of now, what do
0: the owners of Newcastle United Football Club need to do? Obviously we're here now in this bit of land where the Shepherd family Mm. own this piece of land. They were successful owners of Newcastle United. They connected with the fans, they know the local area. What do this ownership, who are not connected to the local area, need to do to connect to the Newcastle fans?
1: What they must understand is is that these people, as I said, I keep going back to that core of people working extremely hard all week to go and support their club. They will travel all over the world, they will buy whatever they want them to to buy, so long as they give that little bit of hope, that little bit of excitement and something to look forward to. (laughs)
0: Al, so we're at a Brian Adams concert yeah. in nineteen ninety-six, post-European Championships. I've yep. just put that little crossing on your head. I'm thinking really feeling really confident, you're just about to leave Blackburn. Yeah. We're singing summer of 96 together. <laughs> your agent's there. Bex is there in yep. the box with us. And lo and behold, that night is the night you went to meet Kevin Keegan. Is that right? I did, right?
1: absolutely. But it was a great cross, by the <laughs> way. Um, yeah, it was. I met Kevin before the concert uh, in Huddersfield. In uh, in Huddersfield, yeah. And things were were great. But I was still I was still undecided then because it was such a big decision. I mean, Man United, as you know, huge football club manager. We don't have to talk about him because I know how big he is. And at one stage, I was actually, I'd made a decision, I'd gone home and said, I'm, I'm going to go to Man United. We'd even sort of had a drive around Manchester and we were going to buy Graham Sounes' house uh, on May. Right. Not so long after that concert that we were both at, I got another call off, Kevin to say, can I have another half an hour with you? And I did. And um, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to go back home. I'm going to come back to, to Newcastle. I can't let this opportunity go.
0: What was the sequence of events? So, Sir Alex had met you when? just before that con's earlier on I'd that met, day, uh, or? I'd
1: met, I'd met them uh, both after that again, believe it or not, at David Platt's mother-in-law's house, right somewhere in Chester, I think it was. I'd met Kevin in the morning, and then Sir Alex in the afternoon. And Sir Alex's words were, uh, am I senior first or second? And I said, well, I would met Kevin this morning. He goes, that's me, <laughs> then. <laughs> it wasn't as straightforward as that. It was a really, really tough decision, but, I mean, this this place, as you know, I grew up here. I, I came and stood on the Gallagher end there and watched my hero, Kevin Keegan, and, and every single week I used to come and watch. And I thought, I've got to go home, and they were willing to pay. A world record fee for me and it wasn't as if I was coming to a, a club that was struggling I mean yeah. the season before they just blown that 12 yeah. point lead I think it was against yeah. you lot and then um, I was meant to be the final piece in the jigsaw so <laughs> didn't quite work <laughs> out like that.
0: In terms of, obviously I played under Kevin with England for sort of a couple of years and his enthusiasm mm. Was it that, or was it the Newcastle?
1: Or was it both? No, the... I mean it, it wasn't. I didn't sign for Kevin. I know Kevin was the, the manager. I mean Kevin was brilliant at selling yeah. Newcastle United, but he didn't he didn't have to to me because I knew what it was. Everyone knew what Newcastle United meant to me. It was a good job. I didn't sign for him because he, he was only here six months. He sort yeah. of, I'd signed in the end July or August, and then Kevin sort of left it uh, at Christmas. So it was a good job. I didn't really sign for him. It was the football club that I signed for, and I just wanted to be a part of it, and I wanted to play here. I had to play here. What
0: was the point where you thought, right, I'm going back? Was there, was there a discussion? Was there a conversation with your wife? I met
1: Kevin, um, believe it or not, in Manchester. That's uh, taking the piss, uh, is it? I know, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was flying out to the Far East on a pre-season trip, and he said, can I come and see you? The team have gone, and he was going to get on a flight separately. So I went to meet him. That was the decision then, and I never, ever went back home. I rang home, I said, you're going to have to pack a bag for me. I've made my decision. Send the bag through to the airport, put it in a cab, and uh, I never, ever went back to that house. So you agreed to sign for Newcastle in Manchester? In Manchester, Manchester, can you believe that? After singing, everything I do, I do for you (laughs) and me and Bex. (laughs) And I had my medical there and everything. Yeah, that was taking the piss. But I had to then ring Sir Alex. How was that? Yeah, I just thought, well, I've, I've, I've spoken to him in terms of him wanting to sign me for Man United. I thought the decent thing is to ring him now. So I rang him on the way to the airport. No Hello. answer. I <laughs> rang him again, no answer. So um, I thought he's definitely not taking my call. So I thought I had to leave had he a been message. Told, had he been told then? I think he'd be already been told. Yeah. By uh, your do or... I don't know who had told him, but I think he was aware of the situation. And um, not surprisingly, he didn't want to take my call. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you had dinner with it, lunch with him a few weeks ago, yeah. what, what, what was he saying about
1: it? He always reminds me whenever I see him about turning Man United down twice. I said it wasn't twice, it was only once, it was the time in 96. I couldn't have signed yeah. in 92 when I was leaving Southampton to yeah. go to Blackburn. And he always reminds me how many trophies I would have had. And what can I say? How
0: can it be that difficult for you to have a statue in the right place outside this ground?
1: <laughs> Ask Mike my friend Mike, the late, great Sir Bobby came in. I mean, he saved my career and saved this football club.
0: Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. This is just a quick thank you to Skybet, our partners, for making this show happen. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Please subscribe, there's loads more episodes coming up and I hope you're enjoying it. Right, let's get back into this episode. You scored an unbelievable amount of goals here, eh? unbelievable career. But there were ups and downs. And just talk to us generally about how you describe your Newcastle career, and was it everything that you wished for and hoped for?
1: It was everything and more. My first goal was down at that end. At, uh, it was the Leeser's end. It was against Wimbledon. I mean, amazing. I mean, can you imagine? I grew up here. I wanted to play for this football club to have ten years here, to have the record number of goals, to have a statue and to have the relationship with the fans and the football club that I have, I mean I wouldn't change a thing, despite the trophies I know I would have had a, a shed load of more trophies, but despite all of that it was an amazing ten years and I wouldn't change anything for the world.
0: You mentioned the statue, how can it be that difficult for you to have a statue in the right place outside this ground?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just outside, albeit it's only, uh, only about ten yards outside i mean i got to sh- uh, thank the uh, the shepherd family for that because they were the ones that that funded it uh, along with the uh, along with the council and putting it where it uh, where it it's is it's not
0: on the actual club's it's designated not on the boundaries. club's
1: grounds it's about 10 yards out uh, outside at the club for whatever reason ask mike my friend mike ask mike <laughs> why he wouldn't or lee charnley why they wouldn't allow it in uh, inside the ground
0: that just staggers me and then there's another story about the bar named after you and then they changed the
1: name of the bar mm. yeah there was a bar um, at that end Gallagher end was was named after me but uh, soon after when Mike came in that went to number nine bar and not Shearer's anymore it wasn't my bar it was just in my name I never got any proceeds from it unfortunately
0: do <laughs> so you think that'll turn back now you think we'll see the Shearer's bar return I don't know
1: maybe maybe that's one of the things the new owners might do I know they spoke about moving the statue which is obviously very very kind so we'll see what happens
0: just take us through some of the managers you played under. here, the Great managers, you know, Sir Bobby Robson. What was mm. it like to play Champions League football, Sir Bobby Robson? Here. Well, we he started canceled. off
1: with Kevin, uh, and of course, and um, well, how did it end with Kevin?
0: Just, I mean, because obviously I was with England. When I look back now, and I think it was one of the most bizarre endings of a managerial career. But actually, I respect him enormously because I always thought, to be fair, he just thought, no, it's not for me. I've done mm. enough. I've taken it as far as I can. It takes a lot to do that, doesn't
1: it? He's a heart on his sleeve, Kevin, yeah. isn't he? Very, uh, very emotional. Very, very passionate. And I still don't know. The, the full reasons as to why Kevin left here when he did. I would imagine it was him taking the club to somewhere different to where the owners wanted to go. I had Kenny at Blackburn and I thought he would have been tailor-made for uh, for this place, didn't quite work out for him. Then of course, we had Rude, which, um, which I knew from Sort of day one that I wasn't going to get on with Rude when he was a manager. I mean, we get on great now. Um, I don't
0: say so I've seen you working together. Yeah, we and get on of, great. He's now. brilliant to work with. That's why, why wouldn't yeah. you get on? Just because of he's a young manager, you're an experienced player. What, what was the what was the tension? What was the problem? Well, his
1: words, not mine. When he uh, when we did sit down and talk about it, he was young, he knew he was Dutch, and he was arrogant, and that that was his words, <laughs> not mine. And that was the way it was actually. I mean, he came in, and we had we had a really experienced dressing room. We had John Barnes, Stuart Pearce we had myself, we had Rob Lee, even Ian Rush I think might have been here at the time, really experienced players and he didn't want anything to do with any senior players and sort of wanted to push everyone to one side which I just found bizarre because you could just lean on their experience mm. and use those players to, to guide you through the early periods but he didn't want anything to do with it and come in and sort of wanted to pick a fight with, uh, with that which I thought was, was just a disaster. And then um, the late, great Sir Bobby came in, I mean he saved my career here at Newcastle and save this football club because it was going down. We were going to be relegated. When you consider, when he came in, we were in the bottom three, couldn't beat anyone. Went to Chelsea in his first game it was, put up a really good performance, were beaten unfortunately. But in his first game here against Sheffield Wednesday, I think we just put eight past them. He got all the senior players into his office. This is what he wants to do. This is how he's going to treat everyone. Sort of got everyone smiling again. So much energy back mm-hmm. into the football club, not inside the dressing room, but also in this stadium. And then we, uh, we scored eight. So from where he took us at the bottom of the league to Champions mm-hmm. League football, I mean, it was just some of the nights we had in the Champions League were just phenomenal. And he was a genius. Genius as a man manager. How we got the best out of young players and experienced Mm -hmm. players. I mean, whether you were on five grand a week as a youngster or whether you were on fifty grand a week as a plus thirty-year-old, he knew how to Mm -hmm. handle. He knew how to get the best out of you, and he was the very, very best at that.
0: Was he tough with players? Oh yeah, yeah, was he?
1: I mean, he could turn the dressing room blue. There's no, 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 absolutely, yeah. He could come in and uh, and some of the rows that we had in in the dressing room, but. What he did was, what he was brilliant at is come Sunday or Monday morning, it was all forgotten about and he was come back in and the yeah. arm round you again. And then because he, he, he had to get you to play for him again, so yeah. he didn't mind telling you what he thought in the dressing room, absolutely.
0: And in terms of his football style, what was his football style in terms of what, how when he came to you and said this is what I want from
1: you, what did he want from you? He him? wanted you to go and express yourself, he wanted you to go and entertain, but he just wanted to give give your all, that's the type of a manager, if you give everything for him he would look after you, mm-hmm. very much I think like Sir Alex did, I mean if you go out and you battle for your manager mm-hmm. they will protect you to the hilt and, and Sir Bobby was like that.
0: Which of the <coughs> managers that you played under do you
1: feel influences your view of football most? I look at Kenny, we had Kenny at, uh, at Blackburn for the uh, three or four years that he was there. And again, as a man manager, wanting to play for him, wanting to go and break your neck for him on a football pitch. Mm. Uh, and I look at managers like that and I think, you know what, I'm gonna go out and I'm just gonna give that extra hard yard that you want us to do. Kenny was brilliant at that. Terry Venables was amazing at that, mm. as, as you know. Yeah great man manager and also a great coach on some of the sessions that yeah. he put on and what he wanted you to do on a football pitch in terms of setting targets, whether you're closing someone down or, or the shape that you were playing, and he was superb at that, but also protecting you. Mm. And so Bobby, um, he was, as I said, in terms of a man manager, Bobby, he was an absolute genius at that. And when you consider some of the criticism that he had to put up with, being an England manager, yeah. to where he got to. And I was absolutely delighted that he came in to, to this football club, his area, yeah. and was able to do what he what he did. I think, well, I know it meant so much to him and to his family.
0: Was the success of Savoy Robson his experience, his likability, mm. his quality, or was it because as well that important bit around he understood the area, he understood Newcastle? I,
1: I think it was a bit of both, but certainly he knew the area, he knew what the people demanded and wanted and hoped. Uh, and he spoke a great game. And he was just so passionate about football. I mean, he could sit with you for days on end and talk about systems and football, what he'd achieved in the game. I mean, when you look at the success that he had all around the world, when he spoke, you listened. This club's just let go of Steve Bruce. It's a brutal ending. I didn't want him to take it. I was told I was going to be the manager. Two or three days later, I got a call to say, there's an issue with the bank, we'll be in touch. And it's 2021 and I'm still waiting for the call. (laughs) Did you want to be manager of Newcastle United? I did after those eight games. I always wanted to go into management. I always thought I was going to go into management. So when the opportunity came along, probably a little bit earlier than than I had anticipated, I couldn't turn it down. I couldn't. I mean, I was the fourth manager that season when Newcastle came knocking on my door with eight games left. So I had to take it. And despite what happened at the end of it, yeah, I thought I was going to be the manager and I was told I was going to be the manager. I shook hands. On, uh, I was going to be the the, uh, the manager with Mike at the end of the season, and then two or three days later, I got a call to say there's an issue with the bank. We'll be in touch, and it's 2021, and I'm still waiting for the call. <laughs> that's not going to happen. And in terms of managerial, now, no, nah, N- never, gone. no, that's gone. It's uh, it's gone. Um, it's, uh, I think you you're outside of the game now, and you're looking on in. And the longer you're out of the game, the, the harder it is to get back in. But um, no, I'm. Uh, I'm I had the eight games, I loved it. I thought I was going to go into it, but um, management's not for me now.
0: This club's just let go a manager, Steve Bruce. It's a brutal ending. We've both both witnessed it in the last sort of what would be six to 12 months. What was your feeling? Because obviously you knew Steve as well, so you were torn between the fans, you were torn between obviously dislike, quite clearly, for the owner of the time, but also a good man and a a, a friend of yours, Steve Bruce.
1: I'm a good pal of Steve's, him and his family, and it hurt me a lot to see what they had to go through. And football's brutal, as you know. And Steve's big enough and, and honest enough to tell you that when you're not getting results, you're mm. going to have to take the flak. So when that happens, you're going to get hammered, whether you like it or not. And when you go into that position as, as manager, you have to accept that uh, you're going to have to take that on the chin. In terms of the last two years, from what he had in terms of on the pitch to, to where they got to in, in a league position, I think it punched above their weight. So... In the ending, I felt for him, but it was the reason why I I said to him, I didn't want him to take it because I was aware of... You want uh, to take this job? I didn't want him to take it, no, because I was aware of what the feeling was. I, I, I know how difficult a football club it was to manage. Yeah. He took on an, an almost an impossible situation because of what the fans wanted, yeah. what the owner was, uh, and in terms of putting into the football club it was almost an impossible job for uh, for steve after coming in and trying to follow rafa because i was aware of what rafa mm. meant to the people here and how he communicated what he wanted he was very clever rafa in terms mm. of what he did he did a good job but he was also very clever in what he did in terms of talking about the owner
0: how did he talk about the owner because I, I it's one of the things i don't come <clears throat> with i don't know if they're anywhere near as much as you but the perception of how what rafa did here and the perception of what steve bruce here, did here is absolutely just
1: well, when you, when you look geez. in terms of league positions, there's very little. They're almost yeah. identical. Points for, goals for, mm-hmm. goals against. There wasn't a great deal in it, but what Rafa was brilliant as was getting the fans on side in terms of dropping little hints, dropping little bombs into the to media about what's going on inside the football club, what he was maybe wanting to do and couldn't do. But Steve, I don't think, did as well as that in, in, in getting his point across and probably couldn't because... He was the owner's appointment, so he appreciated that and so he, he sort of had to keep them on side in terms of not saying anything against him. I understood that, I got that, but I also know the problems and the issues that he had in wanting to do bring players in and, and wasn't able to do that.
0: What is the structure here of recruitment behind the scenes? In tru- <laughs> 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 what, what's, in, what's in place here? What have the new owners picked
1: up? Well I hope they would have picked up in terms of the recruitment that they've had and some of the money that has been spent nowhere near enough but when, when they've gone out I mean you, tr- you try and work out £40 million for, for Joe Linton I mean how do you work that out and I actually feel sorry for Joe Linton at times because he was given the number nine shirt he was asked to play centre forward he was asked to go and score goals none of that is his fault that's not his position could never criticise his work rate yeah. uh, in terms of what he does, what he tries. He never hides away, but he's not a goal scorer, he's not a number nine, and he's not a centre forward, yet he was asked to do all that. How do you work that out? But well, Mike Ashley wouldn't be making that decision, would he? I wouldn't have thought so. I don't. I wouldn't have thought so. And that's one deal I've never really been able to look at and explain. And I don't think many people will be able to. So in terms of the new owners coming in in charge of who's in charge of recruitment, and that's what I'm saying. There's so many big decisions to be made here at this football club. But do they want a sporting director or a director of football or a chief executive who's going to run the, uh, the the actual football club? So there's so many important, big, big decisions to be made because we said earlier, they are in a relegation ball. In terms of the ownership, there are
0: three owners. There is a two 10% shareholders, the yep. Ruben brothers, I think it is, yep. uh, Amanda Stavely and yep. her husband, husband, and obviously the PIF, the, the, yep. the investment fund from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Obviously, 80% shareholder can make the final decision, but who is the sort of decision maker
1: here Well at the moment it it certainly looks like Amanda and her husband but I I guess because of those percentages what you've just mentioned they've got 80% the PIF so I would imagine it's those guys that sign everything off and you've got to get answers from them before any big decisions can be made.
0: I think once you accept Russian, Chinese, Abu Dhabi money into this country Mm -hmm. in football clubs you can't then just say okay we're going to stop with Saudi Arabia. What do you expect from the new owners in terms of their communication, their adaptation to the area, the connection to the club, and are you comfortable with it? Do you want to hear more from them, see more from them? They are disconnecting it a little bit in terms of the PIF and the Saudi Arabian sort of state, mm. but there are some things that all happen over in Saudi Arabia which just cannot happen in a sort of normal world. Uh, where, do you sit with, where does that sit with you in terms of Alan Shearer, local... Newcastle
1: fan? I was as excited as any other fan here because of one um, they got rid of the previous regime because there was no hope or excitement so that's one thing the owners have now come in and we can look forward as a football club to hopefully to bigger and better things and have that little bit of hope albeit everyone's going to have to have a a lot of patience because it's not going to happen overnight but I also think it's right that big questions are asked and are because more questions have been asked in the last two or three weeks than ever asked before and I know things that have gone on in in Saudi Arabia and outside of it uh, that are totally unacceptable uh, but the more questions they ask that that's going to be the better and I think the people here sort of understand that but it's also our job is to educate ourselves it was only a matter of time I think before um, Saudi Arabians were going to be allowed into, uh, into the Premier League because as you say the Russians, mm. Chinese, Americans all, all these, these, uh, these countries are now inside the, uh, the, the, the Premier League but it's right that those questions are asked and, and and also get answers But because I think the communications coming out of this football club, we, I mean we've, we've had more in the last two weeks than we've ever had in the previous 14 years but in terms of that side of things also absolutely you have to answer those questions as well. How have you handled post football career? Tough, yeah it's Tough. really really difficult, where would you
0: get that buzz from? You hold the record for the most penalties scored in the Premier League, can you remember the four that you missed? The bastards, you know, goal scorers. (laughs) Correct. Also, every guest on the overlap gets asked a question around failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. It was a saying that was sent to me off the back of being at uh, Valencia. Um, Obviously a massive failure, but doesn't last forever. (laughs) What moment in your life do you feel was your absolute low, couldn't get any worse, and you've gone home and you don't know what to do? When
1: I broke my ankle. uh, I mean, I, I had three serious injuries the first one was I ruptured my cruciate ligament when I was at Blackburn that wasn't too bad because I was young mm. still fresh still energetic knew I would sort of get over it but when I uh, when I broke my ankle I broke it in a pre-season a year after I'd signed here mm. I just thought oh god and it was such a bad break as well because I displaced my ankle joint broke my ankle broke my fib um, and it was so hard the, the rehab mm. whereas the rehab for the six or seven months when I did my cruciate, it wasn't too bad because yeah. as I said I was young and I'd, I'd still had a few scars after that but at 27, 28 to get over serious mm. injuries that was when I was probably at my lowest yeah.
0: So we'd ever watch you play or played against you or even played with you I always thought that you were just like brick mentality just solid as a rock mm. but were there ever moments where did you ever see a psychologist as a football player did no. you ever?
1: No, I never, I never, I'd never uh, not that side of things. I think I go back to uh, to, to my parents, bring me up in, in in the way they the way they did, um, and I think it was just you know kicking a ball out on a street and going out with your pals. And where I was from, you had to be sort of tough to, mm. to survive. And if you if you weren't, and you didn't really make it, and going away at, at, at fifteen was tough. Mm. But I, I, it's not as if I could just get on a on a train and come back home for a weekend because it was that far away. Um, you just had to learn to. To deal with things but that, that injury was really tough yeah. and I, I think it was sort of after that that I realized that I had to change my game because I lost half a yard of pace and I knew that but I never ever wanted to say that. What I didn't lose was is was that knack to being at the, the, the right place at the, the right time. I was still able to score 20 or 25 goals a season but I knew I had to sort of change my game uh, slightly and um, I was able to do that fortunately.
0: How have you handled post-football career? Obviously, we see you on the television. But how have you handled post-football career in terms of just the the loss of adrenaline, the yeah. loss of the everyday structure? Has that been difficult? Tough, yeah. Tough. It's really,
1: really difficult. Um, it's not until you really finish that it's that's that's the end. I mean, you, you go in, everything's structured. You, you wake up, take the kids to school, go into training, train, go back home, rest, get ready, prepare for the for the Saturday or the uh, or the Wednesday, and you've done that for 18 or 20 years and then all of a sudden one day boom that's it finished off uh, and then the club really don't want anything to do with you anymore yeah. that's it you've gone and then all of a sudden where do you get that where do you get that buzz from where do you get that adrenaline rush from because walking out of this tunnel here or scoring a goal at the Gallagher end there is there is no better feeling in the in the world and then all of a sudden gone finished it's hard to uh, it's hard to deal with i was lucky because I sort of left one dressing room and gone into another one uh, in terms of the match of the day studio yeah. with Alan Hansen or Ian Wright or whoever that may be. So you still get a bit of cracking in the room that we sit all day on a Saturday and watch the uh, watch the games. We still get that dressing room laughing a joke if you like. So I was one of the lucky ones, um, but it was still difficult. But I know. I know guys that have that hit rock bottom and still do because of the, the difficulty. It is. They, go, they go chasing the buzz, and you've got to realise that that buzz is no, not a yeah. lot longer there anymore.
0: Al, every guest on the overlap, does a challenge, and oh we've right. got a little quiz for you nine quiz questions, and we'll see how many you get right. You are top goal scorer in Premier League history but how many of your 260 Premier League goals were scored with your right foot? More. More or less than 200? Less. Correct. 194.
1: <laughs> should have asked me how I, I have told you. <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> how many of your 260 Premier League goals were scored with your head? More or less than 40?
1: More just. You got the number? Forty-six is it? Forty-seven. Yes. Well, you it? know everything about every goal. <laughs> you can name them, couldn't you?
0: <laughs> the bastard, you know, goal scorers.
1: Correct. <laughs>
0: you hold the record for the most penalties scored in the Premier League at fifty-six. But can you remember the four that you missed?
1: The f- I don't remember the chances that I missed. That's a stupid question. I only remember the uh, remember the goals. Um, the ones I missed, yeah, I remember missing one against Sunderland, which was a killer. Uh... Oh, we've not got that. Is it Premier League? Premier League penalties, yeah. Premier League penalties, we haven't got that one.
0: We have
1: eight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who scored more game-winning Premier League goals, yourself or Sergio Aguero?
1: Aguero. It is you, oh.
0: 68 and four. Whoever's put these questions, oh, there better be one that he loses. <laughs> Can't give him a winning everyone. <sighs> Who scored more left-footed goals, yourself or Thierry Henry?
1: I would have to say Thierry. I mean, my, I got a few, but not that many. Thierry. Yeah, you were 20, he was 31.
0: Which goalkeeper did you score more Premier League goals against, Ian Walker or Nigel Martin?
1: I would have to say uh, Nigel Martin. I just remember Leeds was my favourite team. Was it Nigel Martin? Yeah, it was yeah. Nigel Martin. Yeah, Sorry Nigel.
0: How many league goals did you score in the 90th minute or later? Tough one, that. Uh, 90th minute, I don't know.
1: Ten. Eight. What was it? Good guess.
0: How many of your league goals came from inside the box? Uh, inside
1: the box. 28. 2 or 8? 227.
0: And finally, you played 15 matches in a league game against me. How many goals did you score against the back line that I was in? Oh, loads. Um, <laughs> did how, as many, well. how many league goals?
1: That's bad that. 14 games, did you say? 15 matches. 15 matches, so it would have been 9 or 10. 6. Was it Not that bad. No, all right. It I was, was all right. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Al, brilliant. Well Thanks done. Thanks very much. Cheers. Great stuff. Well done. Thank you.